Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. of sermons called Stories, and we started last, the week, last week on John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is an incredible, incredible historical figure. He is actually an Old Testament figure written in the New Testament. In other words, John the Baptist is basically the last Old Testament prophet. He didn't get his Old Testament, his own Old Testament book. But he is a pre-age of grace figure. He is the forerunner of Jesus, the forerunner of the age of grace. And so when we went through last week, we just, I'm going to give you a quick review. John meets Jesus for the first time. Anybody remember when? When did John first meet Jesus? In, In the room? In the womb. Oh, yes, it was in the womb. He first met Jesus. His mom is Elizabeth. She's Mary's cousin. She's great with child. Mary comes to visit her cousin. She's, she's got Jesus in her womb. And the Bible says that John leaped for joy in the womb of his mother. And then she was consequently filled with the Holy Spirit. And I camped on that for a little while because I really feel like we need to understand that life is in the womb. The Holy Spirit can move upon those little babies in the womb. There is a soul, there is a heartbeat, there is an intellect. And they feel and they dream in the womb. And I am probably the furthest from a political preacher that I've ever been. But I will say this. We ought to vote issues, and we ought to consider certain litmus tests. And now when it comes to life, there's nothing more precious than life. There are people who support infanticide, which is afterbirth. They look at the child and they say, this child is not viable. It's not, it's not going to have a healthy and happy life. And so let's abort it after birth. And you think that's insane. That's the natural progression. So I want you to pray about that. I'm not telling you who to vote for. But I am telling you this. You ought to think about the platforms and what they support. Think about the platforms and what they support. That's all I'm going to say to that, except for this. Dude, John leapt in the womb. He was clearly alive and excited to meet Jesus before he came out of the belly. That's a big deal. That is amazing to me. And, And then he met Jesus a second time. Now he's a grown man. He's been living out in the desert, thundering out the word of God. He is a prophet of God in the Old Testament nature. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, I want to be baptized too. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. 
And Jesus says, suffer to be so, right? And so he baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus is coming up out of the water, what happens then? The clouds break. I believe the sun just shone down on Jesus, and a, and a dove, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, floated down and landed on the shoulder of Christ, and a voice thundered from heaven, this is my beloved son. What an amazing thing. Right there you see the doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, in one place, right? So there is Jesus being baptized by John. John is looking at Jesus, and I want you to think about this. From the time John was conceived, and even hundreds of years before that, God had a plan for John's life. John was going to be the forerunner of Jesus. He was going to be the one bearing the torch, clearing the way, crying out in the wilderness, the king is coming, get your heart ready for the king, right? That's his job. He's, 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 been, he's been prepared for this from before he was born. During the pregnancy, it's prophesied over him by the angel Gabriel after he's born, is prophesied over him by his dad, he had a lot to live up to. Can I get an amen for that? Like how many of you, if you were born, somebody looked at you and said, you're going to be president of the United States, and they weren't kidding. And like everything in your life led up to that moment. It's a big deal. So this is what he's been living for, training for, preaching for, and right in front of him stands Jesus. It's a culmination of his life work. It's an amazing thing. He baptizes Jesus and he declares that Jesus is the Son of God later on based on that sign. You see, God the Father had spoken to John the Baptist and said, when you see this happen, this is the one you're looking for. When you see the dove, the Holy Spirit as a dove descending and landing upon him, this is the one you're looking for. So John the Baptist Let's take a look at John the Baptist. John's ministry, repent, 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 the kingdom of God is at hand, shifts and he begins to point specifically to Jesus Christ from Nazareth. This is the Son of God. We just sang a, we just sang a song, worthy is the Lamb, right? Worthy is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? This is the, this is the official declaration. This is the certification from an ordained prophet of God that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Now, the, the religious people, they couldn't stand John, but they couldn't deny him. And this is a sticky situation. People didn't like John. People in power didn't like John, but they couldn't deny that John had power, and John had this authority, and he certifies that Jesus is the Son of God, and he further certifies this. Here is why Jesus came. He came to take away the sins of the world. Now, the people that were waiting for the Messiah at that time, the chosen one, they were waiting for a king to kick Rome out of Israel. Right? They were waiting for someone to come and annihilate their earthly enemies. They were waiting for a prosperity preacher to come and give them health, wealth, and worldly wisdom. And unfortunately, they got Jesus. And he was not what they were expecting. But he, hey, listen, you can't deny him. When the prophet of God, the last Old Testament prophet, 
declares with absolute authority, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. Turn to your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 25. We're going to begin reading there. John the Baptist. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So the Jews were big on purification. They would wash everything with water or they would sprinkle it with blood. And uh, before they went certain places and did certain things, they had to purify themselves. Remember there was a time where the uh, religious people were all ticked off because Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate? That wasn't because they thought it was gross. That was because they were doing something in impurity. And these, these d- disciples of John came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, he, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ. In other words, hey guys, I've told you this. A hundred times, I am not Jesus. I am not the Christ. I am not the chosen one. I am not the coming one. I told you this. I told you I've been sent before him. He, now he's talking about himself and Jesus in the relationship. He said, he who is the bride. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John, I am the best man. Jesus is the groom. I am a friend of the groom. I am a friend of the bride. This is that delineation between New Testament and Old Testament. John is not part of the church. John is not part of the church. He's outside. He is pre-church, but he has incredible joy because he is seeing this prophecy come to pass. Jesus was the culmination of his ministry, the culmination of his joy. And then he says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And, And what has What he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. And this, what what he means by this here is that Jesus isn't just getting a small measure of the Holy Spirit. He getting a whole thing. Okay? You follow me? Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now remember, he's answering them saying, "Hey John, this guy this guy's like taking your glory. This guy's getting more disciples than you are. I mean, it's competition, right?" And he's like, "No, no, no, no." This was always, always my job. Always my task was to point to him. He who believes. Now, here's the thing. If you're here this morning, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And the only thing that rescues us from the wrath of God, eternal punishment in hell, is the person of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb of God. And this is what John says. Now, this is... A, n- a number of three or four years before Jesus goes to the cross and is crucified. This is, 
This is a big deal. This is prophecy. He who believes on the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you come to faith in Christ? Have you recognized that your sins are separating you from God? Maybe you've lived your life and you've been like the religious people that hate John. You've tried to fix everything. You've gone to church. You've paid your tithes. You've joined ministries. You've fed the hungry. You've clothed the naked. You've helped the helpless. But there's still something inside that tells you things are not right because the things that you do will never be enough. That's why God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to do what we could not do to take away our sins. Have you believed on the Son of God? He who believes has everlasting life. He who does not believe will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's the message of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news without the bad news is no news at all. So you have to know that you need the good news. But I want to take us on this story here of John. Something that we can all learn from John. The Lord reminded me of it last night as I was going to bed and I was thinking about different things and, and I was getting ready to bed and I, I getting ready for bed and I jumped in bed and I was, uh, I was reminded that this is all about him. It's all about Jesus. See, hey, preachers, we want to be really good at our craft and we should be. Uh, I've always wanted to be the best. And if I couldn't be the best, I want to be the best I can be. And, and I should want that. But what I shouldn't want is notoriety. I should want notoriety for Jesus, not for Eric. And this was what God reminded me of last night. And, and of course, the message had already been written. He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. Everything I do should be pointing to Jesus. Now, I want to unpack what we just wrote, uh, read a little bit. I want to I read to you something from Warren Rearsby, tremendous preacher in the, in the early 80s, mid-90s. He said this, There arose a question between some of John's disciples and how he defines this as an a Jew. Instead of saying Jews, he says an a Jew concerning ceremonial purification. Could this Jew have been Nicodemus still searching after truth? Like many people today, Nicodemus was confused about baptism and religious ceremonies. Perhaps he thought born of water meant baptism or some Jewish purification rite. Note how John the Baptist pointed this Jew and, and his disciples to Christ if baptism were necessary for salvation, then this is the place for the Bible to say so, but nothing is said. Instead, emphasis is put on believing. So in verse 25, there arose, right, there arose a dispute between the Jews and the disciples of John about purification. Prior to this, Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, he's one of those religious people that everybody hates, right? He came and met with Jesus. You remember the the great discussion between Nicodemus and Jesus, some of you might not know this, it culminated in the most popular verse 
in all of the Bible. You see it at football games. Tim Tebow would, would actually put Philippians on his, on his eye, eye black. Sometimes he'll put John 3.16. John 3.16. Who can quote that? Anybody quote John 3.16? Let's do it. Shout it out. For God... That was not bad. That was not, some of y'all are New King James, some of you King James, some of you are your own version. But um, <laughs> this is what this is what his discussion with, with Nicodemus. This guy, this guy was a Jewish person, all about the purification rites, all about the temple, all about sacrifices. He meets Jesus. They have this conversation, and Jesus says, "As Moses was lifted up in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up." And he was talking about himself and the death that he was going to die on the cross. And he says, and if I be lifted up, I'll draw all, if, if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. And then he goes on and he says that famous verse. If you go on from John 3, 16 and you go 17, 18, he actually says what John said. For those who believe, are, they, they have life, but those who do not believe are condemned already, for they have not believed on the only begotten Son of God. Now, John repeats what Jesus said, and John was not privy to that conversation. And that's what's so awesome about the Bible is God is the author speaking to the individuals. So that's how this whole thing was set up. This Jewish man was questioning Jesus, and then he goes and he's talking to John's disciples. And then John says, no, guys, listen, man, it's not about baptism. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and whether or not you believe. Now, the really cool thing about this, now, stories, we're trying to learn things from the stories that we read in the Bible about these amazing people. Now, I hate using the word character, so if I, if I slip into that, it's completely by accident, because these are not characters in a novel. These are historical figures who really lived the lives that we read about. And John's story, we can learn, in John's story, we can learn some things about our own story and how we should be living and trusting in Jesus. And I want to point this out, that John felt no bitterness at all toward Jesus. As the conclusion of his ministry, as his ministry was winding down, listen, there's a lot of people that feel bitterness toward the people coming behind them. I've dealt with this at Emmanuel, when I first came in and started preaching at Emmanuel, there were adherents to the former pastor, and there were people who felt like there was this youth movement coming in to kick out all the old people, and nothing could be further from the truth. And we know that's true because you see, well, I won't say it, but you might see some aged people still serving in leadership in this church. It's not about kicking people out before their time, but there is a certain thing that we need to understand is that when it's time to pass the baton we should do so with joy and not with bitterness. John had no bitterness. There was incredible joy. I hope and I pray, Lord, please, when it's my time to pass the baton, that I will be doing so with joy, that the next generation is going to take this church into the future, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ with faithfulness. Man, we can learn from John. We should not live bitter lives toward those that are around us. Um, John felt no bitterness. In fact, Jesus coming to John and beginning his ministry was the fulfillment of John's life. 
That was the fulfillment of his joy. The mission of the church, even though John was outside of it, began with the proclamation that John made. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And he needed to move on and rest from his work. So the meeting of John and Jesus not only rocked John's world, but it rocked the entire world. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Where are you in that sentence this morning? Do you believe? Have you trusted in Jesus, or are you trusting in self? Now, if you're a believer in Christ, we're going to take a look at you this morning as well. Turn over to Luke chapter 7. Now, while you're turning there, or looking on the screen, how many of y'all read or listened to Luke chapter 1 from last week? Come on, that was your homework, guys. Slackers, that's an F for everybody but three of you. Read Luke chapter 1. Read John chapter 1. Don't come to church and listen to a sermon, walk out and pretend that nothing happened. This should be one of the most important times of your week because it's a time where you hear, not from Eric, but from God. You should be listening for the voice of God. Listen for the Holy Spirit of God to speak to your heart. And I'm challenging you. Read Luke chapter 1. Read John chapter 1. If you're like, Pastor, I hate reading. I don't like reading. It sounds like homework. It kind of was homework. Um, your version Bible app on most of the translations has an audio version where you can listen to the ESV. You can listen to the King James Version. You can listen to these versions. Or you can download the Dwell Bible app. It has different voices and a ton of translations, and you can listen to it there. I f- Dude, I wholeheartedly recommend listening to the Word of God. Read it and listen to it. You can't go wrong. Anyways, now we're moving on to Luke chapter 7. So you should have already read Luke chapter 1. Moving on to Luke chapter 7. John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying... Now, this is interesting. Well, I'll explain it in a minute. This is it's so fascinating. This is John the Baptist... He calls to a couple of his disciples, and he says to them, Hey, guys, I need you to go to Jesus and ask him if he's the coming one. Or do we look for another? That's John the Baptist. This is the guy who, six chapters ago, is thundering out a message of repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is a guy that's going toe-to-toe with super-religious hypocrites and not backing down. This is the guy who, when he baptized Jesus, saw the dove float down from heaven and land on him, the Holy Spirit, and heard the voice of God, the Creator, thunder out that this is my son, Now he's sitting here and he calls his disciples to him and he says, will you go and ask Jesus if he's the chosen one or do we look for another? Right? Some of you are going, what? Is this guy bipolar? And I'm not making fun of mental illness because I know a lot of people with it. No, he's not. But he is in the midst of something that most of you have already experienced. Some of you are also in the middle of and some of you will experience later. 
When the men had come to him, it's capital H, so it's Jesus. They said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you, are you the coming one or do we look for another? In that very hour, Jesus cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. That's prophecy. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This is Jesus speaking to John's disciples. There was a song, I think, in the 80s or 90s that, that kind of talked about this whole conversation. It was called Go Tell John. I was listening to it all week. It's a cappella. It's, really, it's just a really fun song, and it's beautiful because the way Jesus responds to John's query. We're going to get into that in a minute. When the messenger of John departed, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not one greater than John the Baptist. That's a stunning witness. So we talk about John the witness. How about Jesus the witness? He's given a testimony about John. There is, listen, among those born of women is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I'm going to explain that in a minute, because we're talking John's story, but I'll, I'll tell you who he's talking about and why. First of all, this. I said, some of you are in it, some of you will be in it, and some of you have gone past it. A crisis of faith. If you're here this morning and you trusted Jesus, and you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ saved your eternal soul, his blood washed away your sins, and you had your eternity sealed, and then later on, you begin to have doubts. You've had a crisis of faith. Anybody else have that here besides me? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise your hand. You've trusted Christ, and along the way, either circumstances or people, something happened that made you question everything. Come on. Keep them up. I want everybody to look around. Look at all the losers. <laughs> that was the joke, because my hand's up. I'm not going to call myself a loser, at least right now, Right? What you're seeing is reality. Well, I'll never forget, Pat, you were there at summer camp with uh, Joe, what was his name? Joe, the pastor from Rochester, New York. Burris? Uh, and he had the counselors stand up if they ever struggle with sin or something like that. He said, if you ever struggle with sin, if you're still struggling with sin, and you're a counselor, I want you to stand up. And every single counselor in the, in the sanctuary stood up. I, I'd never forget that. The kids were looking around them going, what? Really? 
And probably for the first time in these little independent fundamental Baptist kids' minds, they realized life is real, and what they had been seeing before that time was a fabrication because everybody struggles. Everybody struggles. If you haven't had a crisis of faith yet, I believe this, you will. You will. You need to arm yourself with the word of the living God. You need to be reading, you need to be praying, and you need to be prepared because it's going to happen. It happens to many as they go into their college years, as they're challenged more and more by professors who are antichrist or by fellow students who are, as they leave the moorings of their home church and they leave the moorings of their family and they're on their own for the first time, mommy's faith and daddy's faith is not going to be enough for you. You have to have your own faith. It may not be fellow students. It may not be professors. It may be this voice that's whispering to you, and that voice is a voice of a fallen angel. Because we have an enemy, and if he can't take away your salvation, he will destroy your testimony if given the chance. He will steal your effectiveness for the work of the Savior if given a chance. John's crisis of faith teaches us something that I think can encourage us. John has walked a difficult road. He was an uncompromising figure in the Bible. He was a prophet of the Old Testament nature. He got himself into hot water. He wasn't there to please men or to tickle ears. And I know what I said when I opened this sermon about life being in the womb has upset some people, if not in this room, people online. Thus saith the Lord, John leaped while still in the womb with the emotion of joy. Trees don't have joy. I hate to tell you this. You can go hug a tree if you want to. It's not going to feel better or worse doesn't have joy. John would preach the fire of conviction down on the heads of everyone who was around him, including people of power. He preached the fire of conviction down on the heads and the hearts of people to turn them to Jesus, not just to cause trouble, but sometimes trouble is caused. And so now the end is near. There's no fanfare. There's no parade. He's been imprisoned and he's facing a death sentence, laying in what I believe to be a darkened cell, and he begins to have a crisis of faith. He had preached against the king because the king had done something unlawful in the theocracy of Israel. Israel was, listen, Israel was a theocracy much different than what we enjoy in the United States of America. Sometimes we miss this point, and we think that Israel was just like us. Israel is not like us. Their civil law and their religious law was entwined, okay? So when he preached against the king who had done something unlawful, he was preaching according to civil and religious law, and he got in trouble for it. He got in trouble for it. As a matter of fact, he got in so much trouble, he's now in prison awaiting his sentence. 
He's now in prison awaiting his sentence. Does anyone here know how John's life ended? How'd John's life end? Young lady in the back. That's in the Bible? They chopped his head off and put it on a platter. Yes, exactly right. How old is she? She's 11. Okay. Absolutely true. That's how John's ministry ended. The greatest prophet, Jesus said, that the world has ever seen ended up being in a cell, living the rest of his life out that way, and having an enemy send her daughter to sexually dance before the king to persuade him to give her whatever she asked for. She, she does her little strut in front of the king, and he's just full-on taken by her. And he says, what do you want? And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist in a charger. He wasn't happy about that. I think he actually liked John. But the king had given his word. And so off with his head. That's how John's story ended? You mean he prayed for God to maybe break him out of jail and God said no? Anybody else had no to their prayers before? I preached this once before. I said, you think Jesus got his disciples all suited up, night vision, right? SEAL Team 6 going in there to break John out. Didn't happen. Some of you are living lives and you are waiting for God to do something for you. I think we just said this last week. You're waiting for God to answer your prayer. And while you're waiting, you're doing nothing. You've pressed pause on your life because God hasn't said yes. Folks, live your life. So here's John. He's in jail. He's upset. He's now having a crisis of faith. This is the guy that said, he, listen, he didn't just say it. He's certified in the office of the prophet of the Old Testament. He's certified that Jesus was the chosen one. That is powerful faith. He's in prison, and now he's doubting. And so he says to his disciples, man, you got to go ask Jesus if he's the one. Did I screw this up? Did I make a mistake? Am I supposed to get out of here? I haven't finished my job, and I don't know what was going on in John's mind. But he was having a crisis of faith. And here's what the enemy will tell you. If you're here and I ask you to raise your hand, and you, you didn't raise your hand because you haven't had a crisis of faith yet, or maybe you're, you're in the middle of the crisis of faith, and you're wondering, what does God think of me? What does God think of me? I want you to look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, you go tell John. You go, actually, he said, you go ask John, are you that stupid? What is wrong with you, John? You saw the Holy Spirit come down on me. You heard the voice thunder from heaven. Come on, John. What's the matter with you? How could you possibly doubt is that how Jesus answered John? But is that what we expect? Sometimes we expect that. If our kids come up to us and they're, they're questioning and they're doubting, and, and our first instinct is what? Whoa, defense. Holy smoke, I've raised a demon. How could this happen? And you freak out. How about refer them to Jesus? Refer them to Jesus. Do you know why Baptists champion freedom of religion? Freedom of religion, right? Um, 
says this, you are free to worship however and whoever you want. We don't care. Just don't kill people or animals, right? Because we're not afraid of other religions. When you have the truth, you don't need to fear those who don't have it. So here's, here's, here's Jesus, and his answer is this. Hey, listen, man. Guys, look around. Now, this particular passage of Scripture now goes on to say he healed a ton of people, gave a bunch of blind people their sight, healed a bunch of lame people, cast out a bunch of evil spirits. I mean, this is, this is one of the few places in Scripture where you see a massive amount of work being done at once. I almost feel like this. Jesus is like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something here. He says, now, take a, look at what, take a look at what you see. You take a look at what you see. The blind have received their sight. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The dead are risen. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And you go tell John what you have seen. Man, Jesus encouraged John. Jesus encouraged John. He didn't belittle John. He didn't demean John. He didn't say, John, what's wrong with you? How could you possibly doubt? What a horrible prophet you are. And this is the one time that I can see that John is in the middle of a, a failure. He's struggling. And the response of God to the struggle of this prophet was not to harm him, but to help him and to heal him. Now, he didn't break him out of jail, but he blessed him while he was there. And he sent his disciples back with encouraging words. John, you were right. You were 100% correct to believe in me and to certify me as the Son of God. Sends him back this encouraging message. But that, listen, he doesn't stop there. Some of us wonder what's God going to say about us if we fail. What's God going to say about our life if we, if, we, if we blow it? Anybody ever been there? You think, oh, if people just knew the real me, they would be like, ew. You're a preacher? Ew. You're a Christian? Oh, my goodness. No, J Jesus, Jesus called, called the people's attention now to John the Baptist. And he praised him. He praised him. In the middle of John having a crisis of faith, Jesus said, this guy is the fullest measure of an Old Testament prophet that you will ever read about or see. I mean, that's a, that's a pat on the back. That's a well done thou good and faithful servant. He lifted him up. And then he said something interesting. He said, but, remember what he said, and I said I'd explain it later. He who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This is where we see the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not about our works. It's not about our accomplishments. John was accomplished. John did these amazing things. 
But those who trust in Jesus and become part of the bride are those who are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Moving on, John's purpose now. What else can we learn about John? John's purpose was Jesus. Belabor this point a little bit as we, as we draw, to the, draw to the end here. John's purpose was Jesus. That was his whole purpose in life. I, I mentioned earlier, I'm going to ask you that question. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? Your purpose and my purpose should be the same purpose as John, to point to Jesus. So the first question is, as I asked earlier, do you know him personally as your one and only Savior? Or are you trusting in works? Trusting in religion? Trusting in that you're a good guy? None of that will do. You need Jesus. A sad statistic came out just this year, put out by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. And the statistic says this, 30% of evangelicals don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. 30% of evangelicals do not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Several years ago, I began to be so convicted by God to make sure that people understood that. And you will routinely hear me say, Jesus is God. Why do I say that? Because it's true. It was what he said about himself. It's what the Bible testifies about him. And if he is not God the Son and the Son of God, his death on the cross, listen now, his death on the cross was meaningless for us. Because he would have had sin in himself. And only the sinless one can die for the sinful ones. But 30% of people who identify as evangelicals are not saved. They think they're Christians, but they don't believe Jesus is God. They're in for a rude awakening. And my hope and my prayer is that it's not one of you. That it's not one of you. When I say Jesus is God, it's controversial. Do you know why? Because just uttering the phrase, Jesus is God, is exclusive. When you say Jesus is God, you're saying that this religion, if you will, is the true one. And friends, it is. If you don't believe that, you're on the outside looking in and one day you'll recognize the error of your way and it'll be too late. It's controversial. It's irritating. It's almost like John the Baptist. Jesus is God in the flesh. John was pointing to Jesus. And as he was pointing to Jesus, he and the author of John the Gospel were saying this, Jesus is unique in this world. He is not a God. He's not, a, he's not like Zeus or Apollos. He's not one of these fabricated mythological figures, characters, because theirs are true fictional stories. He is the God. He's not just a hero. He's not just a man doing good things. He's not just a great teacher or a great prophet, but he is 
God in the flesh. Now, how is God impacting your life? How is God impacting your life? How is what you believe changing what you do say and how you live? Do you live with Jesus in mind? Do you think about him every day? Do you recognize, listen, and you have to go out of your way to do this. Do you go out of your way to recognize that he is with you every day? There are times when God will reveal himself to you in an intimate way and be so close to him. Be like, oh, this is awesome. And then there are other times where God is trying your faith and you must go out of your way to intentionally recognize that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with you presently. Do you ask God to help you to witness for him? Or is your life all about you? Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.